Welcome to another episode of the Interjections Podcast. This is the show we call the Undiscovered Decade. You'll notice things look a little different. Uh, we came to the conclusion that it might be better for audio to actually have headphones. and So Jimmy and I ended up having to separate. It ends up making more of a boxy tone, which uh, I think... What's wrong, buddy? You left me. I'm by myself. I'm so lonely. I can... I can hear you through my headphones in the other room. It's okay. Uh, if, no, it's if not. If you need a hug, we can do this after we record. Uh, They're growing up, we're, kids. We're doing a, the episode for October 92 this month, uh, which, <clears throat> if I remember correctly from what Corey's going to talk about later, uh, is... We didn't really have a hidden gem. A lot of the movies were well known enough that they wouldn't exactly. It was hidden. Warrant. Yeah, this this movie it was, was definitely buried. Quite a bit hidden, and yeah, buried is the appropriate choice because right. the movie, uh, sometimes called Pay Dirt, uh, is also called There Goes the Neighborhood. Uh, yeah. It's about a hidden treasure buried in a suburb, and it's supposed to, I guess, invoke. Hey, that's like what the show's movie. about. Yeah, it's literally the hidden gem of hidden gems, yeah. and it might want to stay buried. So, <laughs> wow, you're already um, giving your opinion, huh? Well, maybe I maybe some of us liked it. It's not it's not the best film, but there are things. All to right, like. synopsis. <clears throat> yeah. So, like I was saying, it sort of invokes it's a mad, 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 mad world, but on a much lower scale. Uh, I mean, basically, a psychiatrist played by Jeff Daniels. Uh, whoa, whoa, psychologist. He makes that distinction in the movie. He's a psychologist. He hears that uh, there's a buried treasure from one of the inmates who is dying of cancer or something. And so he immediately leaves. There are some shenanigans on the way uh, where he people think he's murdered because his apartment explodes, but there's some mishaps where no one was actually trying to kill him. And then either way, he decides to go to this New Jersey suburb, which that's the reason we chose this. It takes place in New Jersey. Yeah, so, that's why. Yeah, Represent. Did it look like Jersey? Did it look like Jersey? I don't it looked, know it, looked, it was a solid Cherry Hill. Yeah. So it takes place fairly close, kind of in between where Corey and Jeff live, which mm-hmm. I just thought was funny when we chose all the films at the beginning of the year. So... Uh, I'm going to look up where the location was because I never actually did that, where they filmed. But Well, since you brought way, up the beginning, I felt like uh, that was very confusing and choppy Yeah, about how his apartment exploded. I wasn't quite following what was going on because of the editing. Well, was yeah, they... They, they, they did a, a ad hoc explanation like after the apartment exploded when uh, the uh, prison inmates were like, yeah, no, this one dude that we know that's like busting us out he could he could get a little violent and a little excessive so like uh like the editing was weird and then like the explanation uh about what happened kind of like came up after the fact i literally thought i had yeah like they tried to kill him i I, I thought i watched like a work print like there was a missing reel right when that happened i'm like i this is not connecting this is all tangential it doesn't yeah, I think it was like one line that 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 tried to explain like why his apartment exploded, and like, uh, 
even then, like even hearing that one line, I, uh, it took me like a couple more minutes to like it swung back again. Like, oh yeah, the fourth, the fourth. Uh, wait, the fourth guy? No, third guy involved in the heist. Uh, only three. That busted three. the other two out. The uh, the one that's on meds and is crazy. Like, oh, he was the one that uh, blew up uh, the psychologist. The uh, but yeah. it's like, that's that's the other guy, the uh, Harris Eulin, Marvin. The banks. Oh no, no. the third uh, guy, Harris Eulin. Yeah, the guy that was like yeah. had the had the Brando thing going on. Yeah, but it was funny. Yeah, well, you know, these guys for for lowbrow crooks, they they seem to have been pretty well connected because like that bomb and everything went off the day he went home after finding out immediately well, about the. Like, what I what I got was that Marvin was already out. That's how he's able to get them with his van. So I think on his way... Oh, yeah, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying, but, like, they would have had to get the information oh. to Marvin that this guy yeah. has this has this buried treasure and we're going to kill him and take his money. Not only that, but it's good that they didn't because they had the wrong address. Yeah. That's Chaz Palminteri's fault. Yeah. Yeah, not only that, do you feel like his decision to go look for the money was kind of rash and out of character, even though we've only known this character for about 10 minutes? But he seems so rational and professional up until then. He just becomes money hungry, like literally overnight. Overnight. The only uh, well, I think se- setting up that his girlfriend bo- broke over, broke up with him over a um, a, a, a voicemail. Um, yeah. Maybe hinting that like that's that's when he starts cracking, mm, and like uh, maybe them. like I the mean, first. The only thing they I think the first five minutes are like supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and also the he, first. He's, He's in line with this character in that, like, the prison inmate that's dying of cancer, he also asks him to, like, split half of it for his, like, old squeeze from back in the day. Uh, so, like, he he's duty-bound to, like, fulfill a dying man's wish and provide money to his uh, uh, former lover from many decades past. So, like, there's a bit, like, there's a bit of greed in there that, like, hey, I'm going to get a lot of money. But, like, the another part is, like, he does have a responsibility to f- fulfill a... Uh, dying man's last wish the first five minutes are his last straw yeah basically and it's just like any other straws i i would have liked which is weird because which is weird because jeff daniels is pretty good at conveying madcap but not in this that's why i feel like this i I don't exactly know why this didn't get a wide release but i feel like this would there's some mangling in the editing room that happened with this, and the director probably wanted to pull their name off and put an Alan Smithy on it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's looking for this treasure in the basement of a suburban house, a divorced couple's house, a divorced couple's yeah. house. Yeah. Uh, Catherine O'Hara and her ex-husband Jeremy Piven, characters named Jesse and Albert, I believe. Sorry, Albert, I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to use the character okay. names more. Yeah, but. Um, no one's gonna remember. And it's just, you know, Jeremy Piven just constantly being stereotyped as a douchebag. Yeah. Like, when, when, like, is there ever a moment where he breaks that, like, trope of his? That, like, role that he's typecast into? Yeah. Like, right. no, that's yeah, like, he's Ari Gold in everything. Let's be honest. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, the first scene they introduce him in, he, ha- he has a chainsaw taking it to the furniture. I'm like, okay, this escalated quickly in the slapstick. Yeah. yeah. 
But they then you've got like people are grounded. Some people aren't. It's like the, yeah, nobody's they, on the same boat. They want to have the comedy come from the insanity of the suburbs, but it's so mundane there that you're not really getting anything. There's two disparate tones happening with, you know, the uh, Rhea right. Perlman and the Dabney like, Coleman characters. They're, they're peeping on people. Yeah. Isn't that funny? But then you have the guy with the chainsaw. Slapstick doesn't really work. There's too right. much of Hector Elizondo is very even keeled. So yeah. it's like... Luckily, we stick with him and Judith Ivy, who plays his wife, for the most right. out of the couples in the town. Because uh, I actually liked Hector Elizondo. His character turned out to be one of the yeah. most interesting. He always anchors things. Yeah. Um, when it's we weird to discover that he's, he has... the, he's the mellow one, and Jonathan Banks is the one that's kind of like kookier. Yeah. I'm not used to seeing yeah, Jonathan I... Banks like this. It is kind of cool seeing both of them a bit younger and uh, playing different roles like yeah. than they usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, we don't have to talk about more plot stuff, but pretty much just so you know in case you didn't see it and you're listening to us for some weird reason about this film, of all things. Uh, they end up digging in a couple different houses. Like we said, Chaz Palm and Terry uh, picked the wrong house, so then they're digging two different ways and not really realizing that they're both going for the same thing. So you just get to see Catherine O'Hara working with Jeff Daniels, what that's like, and then the three inmates with Elizondo and Ivy trying to dig through their actual basement floor and other things get in their way. Nothing else really happens. We just know what the money or we don't. And yeah, bunch of, bunch of kooky shenanigans. Speaking of the tone of the comedy, there is a, a character trait in this that could have gone really queasy at one point. Do you guys remember the realtor? Oh, oh yeah, the realtor. Yeah, yeah. He's a static, yeah. um, and at one point he's like starting to grope Mary Gross, and I'm like, okay, now we're getting into borderline, like sexual molestation. But then she's cool with it, so therefore it's okay that he does that. So, yeah. so is it like, like he, uh, 90s does, is, is it like he knows how to vibe check a chick and is like, I know she's into this, and then like th- that's why he's been getting away with well, it for so long because like. I don't know. He seems surprised that she was into it. So yeah, that's uh, what they're, they're hinting that he always tries to hit on everyone. And, yeah, because they've established that, and then Dabney Coleman has his suspicions with him and uh, Rhea Perlman and everything. And Catherine, which Dabney Coleman's turning him down. Dabney Coleman's wasted in this. Yeah, there's no reason for that to have been him. It's a, it's a thankless role. In fact, most of the uh, the neighbor characters are thankless. This. They could have been excised. It wouldn't be much of a difference, especially the ones who whose basements aren't being dug into. Like, what, what do we need that? Right. Yeah. I mean, the only reason. Well, no, they're the the peepers, I guess, is uh, so that the yeah. auto can discover what happens. But even that mm-hmm. feels like a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, I was gonna say they. Could... Yeah, you they don't need the filter yeah. in his storyline. You don't need Rhea Perlman in her storyline. I think the I think the realtor was just provided like because they needed some reason for uh, someone to show up. You know, well, yeah, someone to show up unexpectedly because it's like you can't even you can't even use the expect that like he was there to 
make, although like he, it, it seemed to make Dabney Coleman jealous, mm-hmm. like just as like a red herring, almost. But there was no need for that anyway, because no. Dabney Coleman's character like wouldn't care. True. Yeah, I, I'm starting to think as you're saying this. One one interesting thing they could have done was have an actual pool company come by, like they're hiding as the pool company, right? Or the or the landscape. A lawn care service. Right. So maybe have an actual lawn care service show up. Like Catherine Hara was going to get a lawn care service because she's trying to sell her home. So then everyone's like, there's the confusion with that. That might be better than the realtor. But it feels like everyone sat down in a room and was like, what What could we do to interfere with this situation? Yeah, we need and, complications, guys. We need complications. Yeah. It's like, but got to remember, it's the suburb. So it can't be entirely exciting. See, they didn't do a wacky good job suburban comedy. They didn't do a good job with that either. Like they could have done like a David Lynchian uh, satire on the suburbs and how like dysfunctional it is under the surface, but they didn't do well, that. Well, the one thing they go into is that Hector Elizondo has the cash full of guns in his basement, so that's the subversion of the suburban yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, because really, it turns out he's a gun runner. That was, that was my favorite. My favorite part of the movie, the most satisfying part of the movie, was Hector Elizondo's turn when oh, he yeah. opens up this safe room full of, you know, contraband weapons and things. And it was like, oh, okay. And then he just takes over the operation after yeah. being held no, hostage. He, in just, he, just, he just goes like, guys, 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 I could turn your, your uh, what was it, like $8 million the money was or something, something like that. It's like, I could turn that from $8 million to $35 million, like that. And then just opens up this, like, hidden door and is like, hey. I'm a gun runner. Yeah. What it is. That's, that's what I mean. Like if they, if everyone in the actual suburbs is worse than the criminals, that's funny. That's yeah. That's what they could have done. But then they didn't go but far enough with it. They only did it with Elizondo. So. Yeah. Catherine Harris is thought... supposed to be the straight woman. So she's supposed to be normal. The only normal one in the whole group. It was just a bunch thought... of rich people going after more money. I thought Chaz Palminteri was the funniest out of uh, anybody here. Honestly, he's, yeah, I thought he's, he elicited the most laughs. I think uh, Jimmy and I agree. Especially when he's lecturing the kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was that was a pretty good scene. Yeah. Which apparently that take took like, they had to do 18 different takes because Chez couldn't stop laughing whenever they broke the kids' glasses. <laughs> oh, my God. And it got <laughs> to the point where they, where they had to pay a PA to be like, hey, can we just break your glasses for this take? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, uh, I, I wonder if he was laughing because like he just had just flashbacks from when he when he was a kid and he was beating up kids for lunch money. It's like ah, oh, this is just like the good old days. Yeah, it's just like the good old days. <laughs> when I was in the Bronx. Yeah, you know I have broken at least twenty one glasses. <laughs> so I'd say the best people in this were Palminteri, Elizondo, and maybe Jonathan Banks. I think Jonathan Banks though was more like oh, it's kind of remarkable that he was doing something interesting and not quite in character. From well, you know what? He did have, I was gonna say, he did do a lot of stuff. Where I mean, people know him now as Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, but he, he was a big character actor in the 80s and 90s. Like, uh, he's in Beverly Hills Cop 48 Hours. Yeah, I don't remember I mean, him from those though, so I wonder if I, I have to go back and see him. Yeah, yeah, but he was more of a mm, it's weird because he seemed kind of diminutive back then, so now he, he seems more like a tough guy now. It's weird. Well, I think he didn't really 
um, get thick, but I think he just got like, I don't know, his shoulders got broader or something. Yeah. He put on. Well, I think like, I think he had this weird, because like his nickname in the movie boy, uh, uh, in the movie boy, uh, wasn't his nickname in the movie was like pretty boy or something like that. It was like handsome, handsome, handsome Harry. Handsome Harry, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Like, I think what it is, like, back in the day, like, he he, he was, like, this, like, fit, uh, strong-looking dude, but, like, he had still, like, a handsome vibe about him. So, like, like, he looks gruff, but, like, also handsome at the same time. So, like, I guess, like, getting, like, a casting was a bit difficult because, like, he couldn't fit in the handsome side or the gruff side too well. But now that he's gotten older, it's, like, and you know, put on that old man weight, and like, like, just looks weathered. So like, he fits. He fits the gruff look now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he just grew into Mike, and our sense of Mike is Jonathan Banks. So if they'd have been a different actor, maybe he's doing something else, and we're yeah. not, just, you know, falling in love with him. So yeah, it's what came first: the, the chicken or the egg, the Mike or the. Jonathan Banks. Yeah. So, with with his performance, though, I think uh, it really is a hallmark to getting captivated into any part of the film because I think his chemistry with Judith Ivy is one of my favorite parts, and I don't know if that's a testament to Jonathan Banks or Judith Ivy. Either way, or both. I think, I think, it's yeah, a I think every time we went to that house, else. it was better. I didn't really care about Jeff Daniels after the first half hour because he's just kind of sad and so is Catherine O'Hara. And... I feel like he, he just becomes a buffoon. Like, I felt mm-hmm. like he could have he could have maybe, like, he could have talked her into it a little bit better, but he's, like, literally just breaking in and then just being like, oh, I'm the guy that broke into your house the other day. Do you remember me? Yeah. Like, I got a dig. A little more smoothly. Obviously, you're a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whatever it is. You could have yeah. like maybe, maybe had a bit of a silver tongue, but apparently not. That's why he's a therapist for inmates. I didn't think they had much chemistry. Yeah, and they're trying to play into that, and it doesn't work at all. Right. Like she's trying to use him to get back at um the Jeremy Piven character at one point. And I was like, mm, rugged Jeff Daniels. I'm not buying. Yeah, like shirtless and dungarees, and I'm like, mm, yeah. I mean, what are we dumb and dumber? Uh, Fly away home with that one. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was it was weird though because you're right, Jeff Daniels just kind of like goes off the deep end, you know, and decides to follow this prisoner that he's been friends with for however long, and like, is like, does- I'm done with my. Yeah, I'm done with done being with responsible. One. Fuck it. Um, yeah. It just seems like he made a huge leap. You know what they could have done? It felt like at first because he has that round table or the circle to discuss things with the prisoners about their feelings yeah. and everything. They could have done a play on One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest where he's actually helping them and then they work together or they well, work out together about breaking out and like, at first you think, okay, these people inside are all normal, and he is not. He's cracked already, and then we see him go even further. Maybe they help him get better. Maybe he helps them when they escape. 
Like there should have been more of a relationship between them, and they just are never together. What if so. he his girlfriend breaks up with him? They have a kid together, and he finds out that he's like I don't know. He's the one that has cancer, so he want, okay. he needs the money to give to his kid before he passes away. Something I don't know. It would have been a better motivation than him just being like, "Oh yeah, well, it sounds good to me. I, yeah, I need money. money. My yeah. job pays nothing. You know what I mean? I don't. I, I yeah. just didn't think there was a strong enough motivator for him to just cast aside all of his civility just so he could go do this. He's just sick of his life. Well, also, it's just like he wasn't a very good psychologist either. Like, the way that he treats Catherine O'Hara going in, I'm like, really? Like That's what I mean. He, he could have for... persuaded her. If he was a good psychologist, he could have persuaded her and manipulated her, and he didn't. He did manipulate her because he was like, he started off as an asshole, and then slowly was like, oh, no, I'm really nice. And then by the end of the movie, they're together. I'm like... Yeah, but she was desperate. Yeah. Yeah, desperate and lonely. So was he, I guess. And she's a literal gold digger now. Broken up. Yeah. It's crazy to think that she had this and Homeland 2 come out the same year. Mm -hmm. Oh, this was just her side project. An air and a spare, as they say. I can kind of. You need a cash cow and a Christmas story. There's a million ways we could have improved this film. I, I feel like the filmmakers just uh, might not have done enough research on the different things they wanted to touch upon, like psychology, suburbia, uh, criminals, rehabilitation, uh, what a motivation would be. <laughs> you know? yeah. a proper, yeah, a proper heist movie. Yeah, the, the pacing... I think I think the hidden gem aspect of this film is in the performances. And if you like people like Jonathan Banks, you want to see a very early Chaz Palminteri. You're a huge Hector Elizondo fan. Uh, right. Judith Ivy has a possible Oscar nomination coming out this year, so I think it's appropriate we're actually talking about it. She's in that movie Women Talking, and they're saying oh. all of them are good. And she hasn't <clears> done a big movie in a long time, so it's kind of could be a comeback for her, of all things, and in a dramatic way. So yes. it's neat to see like where she came from if you wanted to, um, but it's not exactly a good film. No. So it's a lot of lo- usual, like a lot of half baked. It's it's half baked ideas that aren't. Uh, this needed a few more drafts mm-hmm. in order to like fully fulfill most of those promises that it it tries to deliver at the beginning, but. It's it's trying to be a screwball comedy, then it tries to be a dramedy, then it tries to be a thriller. It's not quite sure what it wants to do. Yeah, too many things at once. Caper. Yeah. And then on a long enough timeline, everything becomes Home Alone. Someone, some burglar gets shot in the ass with a with an arrow. And Catherine O'Hara just happens to be there too. Uh huh. (laughs) Good thing John Candy was. He All right, so what do we? I give it a solid C, because there are moments that were sporadically funny, but like I said, this just feels like they bit off more than they could chew, and a lot of the subplots and themes didn't come to fruition. And it's poorly edited. On top of that, it's one of the worst edited movies I've seen of the '90s for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would give it if it, if this was a TV movie, it would have gotten a B plus, but since it's not, it's getting a C. 
go. I'm, I think I'm, go I'm, I'm also... What? C. <laughs> so, wait, C, yes? I, I yes, just... yes to my C, or... C. No. <laughs> oh, yeah. C, C. It was... C, C. C for Cuban contraband. <laughs> I'm, I'm no, it was. I think we all agree. Yeah. I was trying to let you go, but did we did we break even? That's yeah. crazy. I don't, think, I don't think we've all given the same grade. I mean, it has to happen yeah. when it's this low. Four C's. Yeah. I mean, at least it didn't it's, get it's like this... we didn't give it. We didn't yeah. give it the D or an F. <laughs> so it was not complete failure. Well, actually, just this isn't going to be like the first time. Did. This isn't going to be the first time because next month it's going to be all A's. But the like, like we've all said, it wasn't a bad movie. It was just not a great movie. It was, it, it was, was fun. Mediocre. By by nineteen ninety two standards, it was a romp. But watching this thirty years later, <laughs> it's it's a bit. Did we ever go into why this had tones are a bit mixed? Release date trouble. I never like found why? any reason. Or why they why they changed the title? It says yeah, it, it, any information in foreign countries it was paid dirt. Yeah, I mean that's a simpler title. Also, I think I mean, maybe that's just a, an American phrase that they maybe not right. use in other countries. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there goes the neighborhood was meant to imply okay the suburban antics so they, they or suburban antics and they wanted to have that be the tone but they never actually utilized that. And so Pager makes more sense because that's what it's actually about. You're digging in people's houses. So, right. Because they're yeah, no, with, the, they with There Goes the Neighborhood, I expected a lot more, like, family drama. Uh, but, like, mm-hmm. a funny family drama. Not, 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 like, Pager would have paid, like, paid off. Pager would have paid off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I think maybe no, I didn't no. really pay attention to the logos at the beginning, but I feel like maybe this was a movie where like the production company went bankrupt or something. The distributor maybe. went bankrupt and that's why it went well and they were like, we'll just release it in like limited theaters and try to recoup something. I don't know. Yeah. There's no other reason why a movie with back then, now things go to streaming more often or like direct mm-hmm. to DVD or get limited releases, but with that cast back then, I don't see why this would have not gotten a wide release. I'm yeah. sure that's why it came out at all, because they still had to push it out, maybe contractually, for some of the actors. See, now the production company is King's Road Entertainment. I'd never heard of it. Oof. I've heard of that. It's not a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I think they made a lot of straight-to-video things that I watched when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm also wondering if, hang on, historical posturing here. Ah, <laughs> oh, no, never mind. What were you thinking? Uh, also, yeah. never released on DVD. Interesting. So we can't. Oh, so I wouldn't have been able to get it from the library oh. anyway. Yeah. Damn. Oh, that was that was the other thing I was surprised about. We watched it in full screen. I was like, "What?" Yeah. 
It only was available in full screen. I wonder if they only shot it in full screen. <laughs> like if they actually just shot it in four by three. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. When we when we watched it uh, on our TV, I thought like legit that was like a uh, like the quality was like the uh, film quality looked just so wonky. Uh, despite the fact that I forgot, like uh, we have like a super HD TV, uh, and like the frame rate didn't quite match up the way that the settings were. So uh, it just looked weird, and I thought like it was like, is this some cheap garbage? <laughs> You're right. Well, that's, I guess, the legacy of There Goes the Neighborhood. It's some cheap garbage. (laughs) There goes. Hey, so other movies happened this month, aside from the one we just discussed. Um, There was uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Uh, It's a David Mamet adapted uh, play that probably has one of my favorite performances of all time by Jack Lemmon. Has anybody else seen that movie? Yeah. I've only seen that one clip with that actor who is in a bit of trouble right now. Al Baldwin? Yeah, that one. That's the one. Can't think of his name. Oh, not Kevin Spacey? Oh. Was he in that? I don't even know. He was? Yeah, that movie was littered with uh, problematic people. Wow. I don't say well, I mean, it is a David Mamet. About Jack Lemmon. It is a, a David Mamet joint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I remember uh, watching an interview with uh, Jack Lemmon after the movie came out. And he was like, I tried to do everything I could to make this character unlikable and as Weasley as possible. But because it's Jack Lemmon, it's impossible to hate him. Mm-hmm. Even though he is despicable in the movie. But yeah, I, I think this movie's fantastic. If anybody hasn't seen it it's in its entirety, it's about um, a bunch of salesmen who have a, uh, a deadline in order to uh, get their sales commissions up or else they're going to be fired. And to, as with most uh, David Mamet movies, it's sprinkled with uh, his vintage uh, expletives and very like purple prose dialogue. But it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Ensemble cast, though. Besides oh, yeah. Ed Harris and, and Jack Lemon, you got Al Pacino. You have Ed Harris, right? Ed Harris. Uh, who was the other? There's another Alan older Arkin. Guy. Yep, Alan Arkin. Uh, Jonathan Price. That's the other one I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah. So real, real good uh, character piece for a lot of different actors. And you get a different feel from all the salesmen. So... I know it's a, a good performance piece for a lot of different theaters to do to showcase. You know, you could play all these different parts at a different age. It's good. Uh, I think you'd like it. Would I? Yeah. Not? yeah. <clears throat> also, uh, Hero came out this month. Not the Jet Li movie, the Dustin Hoffman movie. The uh, oh, with the airplane. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that movie. I saw that. Okay. I saw that like twice when I was like a kid on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was on TNT a lot. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, I don't like if it was on a lot on TNT. I'm surprised I only Justin saw. Justin Hoffman is just amusingly odious in this movie. A self-centered mm-hmm. ne'er-do-well who witnesses a plane crash and rescues a bunch of people out of it, and uh, it's like it's like the inverse of a Frank Capra fable. It's actually a pretty good movie. I may have said this during our Billy Bathgate episode, but I think this is my introduction to Dustin Hoffman as a kid. 
So imagine yeah. seeing this and he's so awful. And you're like, ah, yeah, perfect American actor. Not knowing Graduate or Rain Man or Midnight oh. Cowboy or anything. <laughs> so, I mean, if you saw Midnight Cowboy as a kid, then. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. <laughs> um, a nostalgic favorite of, I'm sure, a lot of ours, The Mighty Ducks came out this month. Mm. Yeah. Um, they have the continuing Disney series, The Game Changers, on right now, but this is the one that started it off. Um, this might be like my first hockey movie. If I recall, there aren't many. Yeah, there aren't many. I mean, I was. There's more than you would think, though. Yeah, I was too young for Slapshot, so I hadn't seen that yet. But um, you haven't seen Slapshot? Miracle. I've seen it. Oh, but not just at the time that I saw this, I hadn't seen Slapshot yet. Sure. I mean, this is the kids' one, so yeah. Um, I tend to like the sequel a bit better. D two. But it's mm-hmm. probably because of the Queen soundtrack, I would think. But this Fair is, enough. as far as a predictable um, underdog story, this is a pretty good one. And Emilio Estevez acquits himself quite well with the kids. Yeah, he's I think he's good throughout the series. Yeah, unfortunately, by the third movie, he's kind of reduced to a cameo. Hmm. Um, speaking of sports movies, Mr. Baseball came out this month. A, uh, another Tom Selleck starring vehicle and another dud, <laughs> another big dud. In retrospect, a lot of the humor in the movie, he plays a baseball player who gets uh, traded to a Japanese team. And uh, a lot of the humor is very xenophobic and racist. Especially oh, fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's um, very uncomfortable now. Mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing it as a kid and thinking, oh, this is fine and not getting how unaware they were uh, of what they were saying right so, yeah yeah i mean i think we've learned and i think this actually unfortunately could be a step into learning like you make the mistakes in order to learn yeah how to be better so, true how to not be a racist right <laughs> yeah that's the best thing i could say More you know. <laughs> so um of Mice and Men came out this month. The Gary Sinise uh, directed of Mice and Men, or it was Gary Sinise directed, I think, right? He started, yeah. and it's uh, yeah. it's him and um, John Malkovich plays Lenny, and this yeah, is the one I actually cool. watched in school. I remember after we read the book. Yeah. So this is the one I'm the most familiar with. The, the adaptation I'm most familiar with, and yeah. the, I don't know if John Malkovich got nominated, but he sure should have. I think he did, but I'll yeah. double check. I love his performance in it. I think right. it's uh, one of the best adapted character performances in any. And it's in it's unconventional casting too, because when you read about Lenny, you expect him to be some lumbering, hulking giant of a man. And sure, I'm sure they gave like uh, John Malkovich some lifts so he would look a bit taller, but he doesn't look as intimidating as he's described. But he portrays yeah. the uh, the sweetness of the character. I, I think the, another problem with like that that mental image of a uh, Lenny is like uh, Looney Tunes. Yeah, because yeah, there, there was there was that parody of it where yeah. there was always that big lunking idiot character who was like, "Oh boy, George, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, right. can I keep him? Can I keep him?" That 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 character. But like, I do remember in the book, like. Uh, like he was described it as like yeah he was strong but like you didn't expect him to be that strong mm-hmm. so right. like uh, 
John Malkovich being like how he is. And like, he did have that look in his eyes where he looked like an innocent kid. So he pulled right. that off pretty well. No nominations. Mm. I can see anywhere. Sinise was nominated for the Palm Door, but that's oh. about it. That's great. Well. Yeah. So they, and critics loved it though. It just never got yes. any nominations for any awards. As, as far it, as I can I see. Think Gary Sinise has directed anything since that's really noteworthy. Yeah, that's kind of a shame. I wonder if because people didn't see him win accolades, he didn't get a chance to do anything else, or he just didn't want to, maybe. Maybe. But I think he did a great job. He did do a really good job. It's not an easy book to adapt. No. Especially the, with the performance of Lenny, you got to be very careful. Yeah. Um. 1492 Conquest of Paradise came out. The second uh, um, Christopher Columbus movie that came out this year. The better one, but still just as turgid as the other ones. Oh, what, Directed by Ridley Scott, though. Were they trying yeah. to time it with the... Wait, wait. The, Ridley Scott? With the anniversary. Yeah. With the 500th anniversary? Yeah, they uh. did. Yeah, that's why they were trying to do it. Remember last month, I think, or maybe two months ago, we were talking about the Tom Selleck playing the Spanish king? Right. Uh, that, that was the other adaptation. Yeah. So that tried to come ahead of Columbus Day, and this must have come out around Columbus Day. Yeah. This this was um instead instead of a George Corface that was in the previous one, this is Gerard Depardieu. So also it, uh, it's still kind of miscast. But uh yeah. I mean obviously Ridley Scott's really good at sweeping vistas, and that's about as much faint praise as I can give this thing. Other than that, it becomes like an Errol Flynn movie, like the other one, where it's, where it's just swashbuckling on a ship. And it's, I'm starting to think that maybe Columbus's story is not that interesting when portrayed on film. Amerigo I Gucci mean, might have been more interesting to cover, but we never. Right. I mean, there's so many explorers that happen that we learn about that all did basically the same thing. Right. And so is it really worthwhile? I don't know. It's just the name got used the most. So yeah. then we think he's more important than anyone else and important to cover. But it's just right. <laughs> sailing across the ocean and taking people's land. So Right, yeah. Yeah, well, they yeah. shy away from the uh, part, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But um, oh, well. <clears throat> Steven Skull's best movie came out this month, Under Siege. Oh, yes. Yeah, and I know Tristan would probably, if he hasn't seen it, he would enjoy it because one of the villains is portrayed by who? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. I've seen it. It's the only movie I will admit Steven Seagal actually did well in. because He's good in it. And he's good in that. Yeah, he's good in it. Um, it's got Actually, it's got two really good villain roles because it's Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey. Oh, I forgot about Busey. Mm, I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm too too much in love with Jones to see anyone else. Right. The only problem is the last fight, as with most Steven Seagal fights, it's very one-sided. He doesn't let anybody yeah. get one. This yeah. is before The Rock was putting clauses in his contracts to prevent things like this. So mm-hmm. I didn't tell you where uh, Steven Seagal's vanity was at at that point. But still, uh, actually surprisingly good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Candyman came out. Oh, uh, just had that remake last year. Yeah, I think this is a really. I didn't think this movie got the respect it deserved amongst like horror fans and just 
uh, film fans in general, just how how good it is at conveying that um, how we all create these uh, urban legends that haunt generations and how they create to like, they become a life of their own. They manifest themselves throughout the generations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's actually a more thought provoking and cerebral horror movie than you think. And it's not as much about the, the slashing and bloodletting. In fact, you don't even see Tony Todd until halfway through. And when he does come on screen, it is a powerhouse moment. Um, it's actually adapted from a Clive Barker book. Really? And he has a pretty good track record with having his stuff adapted between this and Hellraiser and Midnight Meat Train and um, Lord of Illusions. He, mm-hmm. he's, he's got a pretty good track record. Yeah, I want to see it, but that is one of my biggest fears, someone coming out of a mirror. So, yeah. I don't There's know if I'll ever be able to watch Three times. I think it's three times. I know. We used to do that uh, when I was growing up in the theater that I, I would perform at. Uh, we would all go into the bathroom and like the other kids would try to get me to say the name of Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah, Bloody Mary. That, Bloody Mary is such an old I'm one. traumatized from that. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, consenting adults, speaking of Kevin, Kevin Spacey, came out this morning. Uh-oh. A very tawdry, sordid, cheap... Uh, extramarital affair thriller with him and uh, unfortunately Kevin Klein. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, sorry, Kevin. It's a bit of a dud, and it's sad because it came from the usually reliable uh, Alan Paluka or Pakula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pakula. Pakula. It was usually a really good director with political thrillers, but not so. Yeah, far. not in this. Um. Yeah. Uh, a remake of Night in the City came out with um, I know this is, a, this is an under the radar movie uh, actually pretty good too um, it's Robert De Niro and it's directed by Erwin Winkler who's usually a producer he like mm. Rocky and some other things Raging Bull um, it's uh, based on a 1950s movie and uh, Robert De Niro plays this like ambulance chasing lawyer who becomes a um, a boxing promoter, hmm. and it's it's written by uh, Richard Price. So again, like I'm not just like uh, David Mamet. This guy's a really good wordsmith, and uh, a lot of his dialogue just sparkles. It's very streetwise, and uh, I haven't seen the original, so I can't compare the two. But I actually enjoyed watching this one. Hmm. I wonder if this would have been a better hidden gem. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Doctor Giggles came out this month. Um, if anybody remembers that, remember, does anybody remember Larry Drake from yeah. uh, okay from L.A. Law and Dark Man? He got his own horror movie, his own slice and dice horror movie where he plays Doctor Giggles, which was I think was meant to be a parody of the genre, but then just became a really lukewarm example of it. He plays a mental patient who thinks he's a doctor and does like surgical procedures on people throughout the movie. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, it's very campy and tongue-in-cheek it's but not necessarily funny it doesn't have that wit that it needed and then um lastly there was uh quinn tarantino's directorial debut oh huge movie this month reservoir dogs could not do this oh, yeah. as a hidden gem no yeah. no 
And the movie still holds up. I just watched it the other day in preparation for this, and it's still amazing. Yeah, I love it. Just the way that the whole story is formatted, where it's a heist movie where you don't see the heist. You see the aftermath. You see snippets of heist. Yeah. You see the planning beforehand, and then it jumps around chronologically, where you're picking up pieces along the way. You know, it's funny. He's a novelist now, and he's going out on a book tour. But he was a novelist way before now. Because this movie and some other movies that are formatted like chapters have a very like novelistic slant to them. As much as I love like Pulp Fiction, I I, I think Reservoir Dogs is probably the better of the two. Honestly, mm. Mm. I could. Yeah. See. I want to. I want to ask what our Cause, favorite Tarantino film is. Yeah, because it's like, tough because he has such a weird because nine film because there's less there's less characters to get invested in. Mm-hmm. So like there's it's a tighter, tighter story. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Who here we go? Who's your favorite Reservoir Dog? Have you seen this, Jeff? By the way. Oh yeah. Okay. I've seen. Just want to make sure, so we weren't gonna, in case we go into spoilers. Who's my favorite? Yeah, Mr. Pink. I've worked with him. We can all have Mr. Pink. Oh yeah. I want to do Mr. Pink. Um, It was Steve Buscemi, right? It doesn't doesn't help that he has like the standout moment at the very beginning where he talks about his philosophy of not tipping. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got the greatest speech. Yeah, from the jump, you were supposed to like him the most because he's uh, he's nice. It, it's kind of a star-making turn for yeah. Steve Buscemi. So, right. um, I like Mr. Brown myself. <laughs> no, is that so Eddie Bunker dies on the way? Right? Uh, is that Tarantino or Eddie Bunker? I think it's Eddie Eddie Bunker. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was who it was. I forget. Okay. It was Mr. Brown and Mr. Gray. Yeah. Are the two that don't make it? Because Tarantino and the other, the older guy, don't make it. Yeah, it's bunkers. Yeah, it's bunkers. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think we all like Mr. Pink. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, you can't uh, hear uh, the spinning wheel song without imagining Michael Madsen cutting a cop's ear off. Yeah. So, which I actually the most I worked scene. Stuck in the middle. I worked with that cop on a movie once. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Kirk Baltz. It was uh, it was a student film actually, but it was pretty well done. But it was intense. It was like, hey, you look familiar. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the. Yeah. Recognize me now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. But yeah, no, I love that movie. I even got like I have a collector's edition somewhere in a box that has like back when they did special packaging for DVDs, and it's. It looks like a, a lighter, or no, it can't. Yeah, you know, it looks like a thing of, of lighter fluid. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. And then you open it up, and the discs are in a giant matchbook. Oh, neat. So, it's really cool. Yeah, I miss I miss the uh, inventive DVD packaging. I like these steel books that they have now, but it's like a last ditch grab for people to get from the media. All the yeah, every ten years, every ten years, people re- release a new collector's edition. And- I mean, the hardest part is keeping them all on your shelf. Right. The weird shapes, that's not good, but... Right. But I don't know. Oh, well. Great movie. We should have all done, done, done dressed up in the thing. We should all have suits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well. Maybe next season. Yeah, right. Maybe in the best of, we'll, we'll be Reservoir Dogs. Right. Oh, well. 
Can't can't not mention Harvey Keitel though and Tim Roth because they're the leads. Yeah. Well, they're the they're the heart and soul of the whole movie. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, even though I think Mr. Pink's my favorite, I think Tim Roth gives the best performance because he has to. He's the linchpin of the turn. He's in so. agonizing pain most of the movie. Yeah. 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 And I remember him. Uh, there was some story I read about him like preparing for it and. I don't know if you've ever read any interviews with him, but it was it's really fascinating. If you can search for any Tim Roth about Reservoir Dogs, he's fascinating how he like memorized everything. And I think he came up with some of the key details about like when they're prepping and how he was gonna like hide the wire and everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. I forget exactly what it was, but I, I remember everything he had to say was very intriguing about the history of the making of it. Right. So, yeah. I wish I'd remember this was this month. I would have looked that up. Yeah. So. All right. So, now on the poster boy. All right. Hey, hey, hey. <clears throat> Let's see. My time to not quite shine. Like, like I Tim. mentioned before, uh, with this new Riverside app we've been using, I'm hoping this does look as good as it used yeah. to. So. All right. I don't know, but everyone's getting the high def view of my basement <laughs> well it's all right it's okay all right so yeah you can see this jeff yes i can cool all right so i'm going to describe <laughs> the name <laughs> of the game is to describe what the hell's going on first uh so it's instead of just doing a blank face i thought manipulate it so it's even creepier yeah no like so all right so it's an it's an old timey photographer press man, you know, with a with a yeah. one of those little bellows cameras, giant flash bulb going off right in your face, like he's the paparazzi and you're the celebrity. Yeah, and there's a crowd of reporters behind him in some sort of stock footage <laughs> overlay. Um, mm-hmm. below him, it looks like he's off into the night. The way that his, uh. The flashbulb is positioned. It looks like the moon. So I'm guessing there might be some sort of like haunted feral aspect to this. I think that's just a uh, an aspect of my Photoshop manipulation, honestly. Well, I mean, it actually, like I, I don't know. I'm coming up with coming up with ideas here. Uh, I don't know if you can see the cursor, but on I the can. curvature of it, I think that's just the uh, wires of that lens, right. the, the flare. And yeah. because the tagline is in there, uh, okay. that's the black gotcha. smoke coming out of it. Gotcha. So I just tried to make it look neat. So, like, aesthetically, though, I feel like that might have been... I don't know. I, think I don't know. Who neat. knows? Okay. And then there's a... That's there's why a, I'm saying it. Yeah. Well, isn't that the point? So, is to mislead him? <laughs> so there's a fella there. The fella holding the camera is a... Uh, I don't know. He's he's got a got a fedora on. His nose has been manipulated, but he's got a cigar that also kind of looks like a gun it sticking out. Is. The way that I don't know if that was part of the manipulation or if that's just like, oh, you know what? It was a cigar holder. I guess that makes sense. That was a thing back then. It was yeah. like it it led, hooks onto your lip. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't know about so that. Weird. I learned. Yeah, that makes sense. But how like we've never seen that in any other form of media. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure like, we did back in the actual 40s. Yeah. Well, it doesn't it doesn't look very photogenic cuz it just looks like you're drooling. 
you know <laughs> drooling tar yeah yeah uh anyway. so it looks like okay so what do you want me to do for synopsis first or yeah, who what do you do think that? this might be about i feel like this is one of those uh, I want to say some sort of paranormal thing where this reporter goes around stealing people's souls mm-hmm. with a haunted cool. camera. Um, <clears throat> haunted camera, and like he's also part werewolf, hence the thing I thought about the moon. Um, or it's just a really bad paparazzi movie, but like in the, in the in the forties or so. Um, I want to say the guy, even though his face is. Out of whack. I want to say Harvey Keitel. It's because uh-huh. of the eyes. He wasn't getting that much work then. No, well, that, I don't know. I wasn't sure he had, had a lucky year. Yeah. Um, but if not, Fred Ward. No, not Fred Ward. Who was Fred Willer? No. Fuck. Who was, no. Who was the guy who was the absent-minded professor back in the 60s? Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis? No, not not Jerry Lewis. It was someone else. Fred McMurray? That's the one. He looks like Fred he McMurray. Been dead, I think. No, he would have been Fred dead McMurray by this point. Dead by 92. <laughs> he looks like a like those those eyes. That's the fedora. Yeah, that's the fedora. Hmm. What would you um, call this based on what you know? Snapshot. Okay. Uh, or 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 hang on, hang on. Uh Evening edition. Ooh, show mm-hmm. hadn't come out yet, so I like that. Uh, by the way, Fred McMurray passed away in November fifth, ninety one. So damn it! Oh, just, you could have filmed it. You could have filmed you it. He could have done it <laughs> on his deathbed with the camera. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, well, let me give you the tagline because okay. it will help maybe give you a sense of what the actual plot is and maybe give you another title chance. Gotcha. I know it's a little small. <clears throat> All right. Hang on. Murder, scandal, crime. No matter what he was shooting, the great Bernzini never took sides. He only took pictures, except once. Oh my God, is this like an Abraham Zapruder biopic? Like, ripped from the headlines 30 years later? Um. Okay, so I'm thinking like four, 40s Nightcrawler, where he like, yeah, murdered a guy, then took a picture of it to cover it up. Honestly, it's not a bad synopsis. I don't know if that is the actual synopsis. It's really not far. Yeah. The Great Bernzini. He okay. So the Great Bernzini. So he always knew. Where to get the best scoop? He was always just lucky all the time, and then he stopped being lucky, so he decided to make his own luck, and got in trouble, and that's where the event of the movie starts. Yeah. Oh, it's Shutter Island. <laughs> because Shutter. Yeah, and then he wakes up, and it was all a dream. What do you What do you think, Corey? Is that close enough? It's pretty close. Um, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, do you want to say the plot? Just sure. because he's not going to um, guess anymore. It's about a crime scene photographer, Shutterbug, a, a low life who who's, uh, takes pictures of uh, corpses and everything for to get sensationalized scoops. And then he gets involved in a conspiracy that uh, could lead to the underbelly of uh, L.A. 
during the 1930s or 1930s. We were around the right era. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, so you're pretty close. I'd give you like uh, 10 points or something. I don't know. I don't know what I usually give you. Look at the poster board where the points are made up and the movies don't matter. (laughs) So before I go on, I believe I give you who this is. Do you have a guess? Again, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is it is he older? Is it like an older fella? Now he is. Well, but at that he's point, probably in his fifties at this point. Okay. Well, that's pretty old. Trying to think, who is? Eighties now. Yeah. Was it one of the Douglases? No. 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 Think short. It... Yeah, very short. Yeah, think uh, short. Not Devito. Not that short. Somewhere between. Somewhere in between. You're close. Oh my god, I'm not going to be able to. They get yeah, mixed up all the time. It's going to kill me when I. Ooh, t- what? The, I I get mixed up. No, they get mixed up all the time. This actor and Danny DeVito. Well, they did back then. Mm. Yeah. Joe Pesci. Yes, sir. Yeah. What? Joe Pesci. Joe Holy Pesci crap! And Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey. In, do you want one more chance at a title? Uh wait, wait, wait! Now these are the crime scene thing. Do not cross. I don't know. It's not bad. <laughs> I like snapshot better. Dead at the scene. <laughs> I don't know. You did. You did better at the beginning. <laughs> but in. Oh, I gave you their faces first. I don't know who that is. Barbara Hershey. There she is in the corner. I thought it would look better, but it just, she ends up blending into the background when I erased her face. Gotcha. And I knew you probably. I I thought she was an ominous sunset. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So anyway, Joe Pesci and Barbara Hershey in The Public Eye. The Public Eye. Yeah, but before uh, we said uh, Joe Pesci, like I started piecing the guy to the face. I was like, "Wait a minute!" And then, like, then I got it. Mm-hmm. All right, so excellent. We got one more. This one will go a little quicker. Oh, I also wanted to show you. This is the alternate poster. I actually like this one a lot, but yeah, I felt like the other one was more easily manipulated. So yeah, I just wanted to show this to you. That's fair. That's really cool. It's like a like a four sheet forties poster. Yeah. Yeah. Shame it's not a better film. So here's, here's your second choice. All right. So for round two, it looks like it's a white background with a vault of some sort. A woman grabbing a man with so she's got something tied around his neck, and surrounding them are seven children of varying skin tones, all babies. This is not cheaper by the dozen. This seems like more of a these these rich kid these rich folks like decided to adopt for the tax break, mm-hmm. and you know some sort of wacky hijinks ensue before you know CPS existed, um, and the woman is clearly the. Uh, What's the word? Lead. Let's say boss in this situation. She she's she's the mastermind here. 
He's just trying to follow along, but she's stringing him up by his fancy-ass scarf. Um, I want to say one of them is Kevin Klein. Oh, God. The hair? No? No? Okay. Uh, the guy... No, Martin Short. You know who he is. Well, you know what? Think. Uh, well, if you knew TV back then, he was kind of a big deal on TV. I didn't Actually, know TV back then. I was watching cartoons back then, Corey. Yeah, I was gonna say he wasn't a hit um, baseball franchise movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that. Not gonna no, help. I, me. I know. I know. I appreciate you trying, but. I'm she was a big TV star, and this was she, her. That wasn't. To get into wasn't Catherine O'Hara? Wasn't uh, who was the? Oh my God, Peg Bundy. No, oh, Katie Seagal. Oh. Katie Seagal. Um, More of an '80s sitcom that bled into the '90s. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Step by step. No, I'm just going to name sitcoms now. I That's just... Okay. All right. I, I have no idea who these actors are going to be. Yeah. I don't think I'll even I don't even know that you'll know them at all, but, but uh, why don't you come up with a plot? I mean, you kind of did come up with a plot where they're adopting stuff. That's not exactly it, but I guess I can give you a They're hint. stealing babies, and all of the babies are wearing earmuffs, which I, I feel like... That, that, that might be a like a like industrial freezer, I think, not a safe... Oh. oh. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, is this a... along the right track? Because what buildings have vaults? Banks. Baby bank. bank? Is this baby bank? Oh my god, is this a sperm bank comedy? A sperm bank heist. <gasps> Wait, what? Jeff got it. Oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> you know what? Jeff got it quicker than the characters in the movie did. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I can't read the tagline though. It says at first family sperm bank, she banks as babies. Banks he, on babies. He banks on babies. He banks on bucks. Nine no, banked on she... falling in love. Oh no. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well anyway. So it's called Baby Bank. It's Shelley Long and Corbin Burnson. Yeah, no idea. You know, <laughs> Shelley Long Burnson Burnson is? Star cheers. Oh, okay. Did you ever see Major League? No. Okay. So yeah, that's why I figured. That's like I don't, I don't watch movies. That's why we're doing this because I don't no, watch I movies. Know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but I knew at least you might get the plot based on the babies and such. So yeah. Okay. Well, no, no. Props, props go to J- Jimmy for pointing out that it might be a freezer. Jeff Frozen yeah. assets. It, oh my god. <laughs> Jeff got it way yeah. faster than the characters in the movie, though. <laughs> I forgot there was one more element, so sorry. I should have okay. had you try to guess, a, what's, guess what's another the title based on that plot. Why don't you try to come up with a better title? What's for, Baby Bank just sounds worse. <laughs> <laughs> bank on the future. Uh, Honestly, Frozen Assets is kind of perfect for this garbage. Yeah, It is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, this is bad. I, I could come up with several titles, but none would be appropriate for the internet. One of the most Ice lowest Ice common denominators sitcom I've ever heard. A guy thinks he's going to, this executive thinks he's going to run a bank, but of course, it takes a while before he realizes it's a sperm bank. 
Ooh. Okay, so it's just like yeah, so at one point he's talking to a client. And he's like, "Just put your assets in my hands, and I, I, I can take care of it all, all for you." So he's running the bank. It's not like a situation where they try to. It's not a heist movie. It's not like a oh, they no. rob a bank. Okay. Like, it's more it's like thing than running a uh, sperm bank, and they try to like do a Ponzi scheme with it. That's what, what I thought with, with, with like sperm. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel like it would be funnier if you have people that were just like trying to rob a real bank and then they find out that it's a sperm bank. That would have been better, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll give you points for that too. You did well. Yeah. Now, now I just want to see if there's a porn parody of this. Stop. Yeah. So. Rule thirty-four. Anyway. Yeah. Stop you right there. So, <laughs> given that this was an ensemble cast this month, I know we we could have picked any of them, but I figured the main and obvious choice is to go with what our favorite Jeff Daniels film is. Ooh. So. Yeah. I mean, I know the, the biggest comedy uh, he made was uh, Just Another Two Years Away, and that's probably a popular choice. You know what? I, I, you know what I'm going to go with? Um, the Squid and the Whale. Okay. The Squid and the Whale... It's not only a great uh, dramedy about divorce, but also he gives a fantastic performance as this kind of like very aloof, erudite professor. And actually, he uh, he's better than Laura Linney. I love him. Yeah, I like that film as well. It's probably up there for maybe his best film. Definitely top three for me. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I th- I think it's gonna be Gettysburg for me. Gettysburg is a great one. I wonder if that was gonna be mine, but oh wait, he was in Pleasantville. He yeah. was. Which one would you rather have? I'll take the other one. No, I'm gonna go with Gettysburg. I'll go with yeah. Pleasantville then. Yeah, Ooh, Pleasantville okay. was like a really good movie. Yeah. Gettysburg, Pleasantville. All right, now I'm. I have to go with. The first thing I saw him in that still makes me cry. Dumb and dumb. Fly dumb. Away, yes, no. Fly away home. Hey. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that, was a good that. Too. that is a good choice. Fly away home is going to be my other choice. So. Rope was in it. I'm glad, I'm glad you uh, went with that. And uh, Screw the Whale is a reunion. Oh, because Anna Packman's in that. And he, yeah, Anna the gross thing is, isn't he having an affair with her? Yep. Bro. Fly away home. Real awkward. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, I we, all, huh. we all have pretty good choices. So, yeah, fly away home, swim the whale, Gettysburg, and uh, what did I say? Pleasant Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a TV series where, like, he also played Washington. Yeah. Where, where they, uh, where they, uh, was he? It was the Washington miniseries, or oh, I don't remember. I just, I just Nobody remember like very saying like the scene where they, they're, they're, like, attacking Trenton and they yeah. get the Hessians. Yeah. And Something I. In the 2000s, yeah. but yeah. He, I he actually. Good they're pretty good. Just, Purple Rose is pretty good. Just looking over his filmography, I, I, just learned that there was an actual ragtime movie mm-hmm. before oh, the yeah. music that it was based He's, on. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen it. I want to see it. Yeah, me too. I hear it's good. 
I mean, he's had kind of thankless roles recently. He's right. like the executive in The Martian. He's Steve Jobs' opponent to getting to work at Apple, that sort of thing. But he was in the he's newsroom. Yeah. The great TV work, like newsroom. Yeah, work. TV and he theater work. He won an Emmy for Godless, so, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But he's one of those actors that can fluidly go back and forth between drama and comedy. Yeah. I mean, he's also just... Jeff and I have seen him twice due to that's Kill right. Mockingbird and yeah. uh, that and, and Blackbird. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it was it was he's a brilliant actor. Just no matter what he does, um, but we were fortunate to see him in theater roles. That's Jen actually has a has an ongoing conversation with him every time we meet him at a stage door because yeah. like she brings up other shows that he'd been in and they like continue the conversation. Spent yeah. how like we we like to think that he remembers Jen. So, well, but that's where um, that's where our story about Bruce Willis from a couple months ago comes right. from. We were out seeing Blackbird with Michelle Williams and Jeff Daniels, and then that's when we went to the restaurant where Bruce Willis was celebrating the end of uh, Misery. So, so tied together this year. Yeah, a little loose end. Just boop. There you go. A fantastic yeah. romp all around, guys. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm glad we had this uh, discussion about There Goes the Neighborhood and uh, all these other films. And uh, next month we're going to be uh, watching a film that isn't very near to my heart, but maybe I'll uh, move around on it. Uh, given that tomorrow or this weekend is Halloween, we can't help that they release this film in November. But uh, we're going to be covering Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is I think like the eighth highest grossing film of the year, but yeah. might be. A hidden gem at this point, despite everyone citing it every Halloween and memes on Facebook. So okay, we'll see. We'll see how well, we all feel about he, it being a hidden he's, gem. He's, he's already the riding. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm happy because it's Francis Ford Coppola, and that's one of my favorite directors. So even if we're talking about his least important work, uh, we'll be able to uh, discuss his whole oeuvre. Oh, I know we were talking about Jack. Maybe the works of. Uh, all the actors that failed to adapt Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ooh, we'll get into that next month. Well, it's gonna get we'll see. heated, we'll see. guys. We'll see if I come back around on it. I, I can I can be nice. All right. I think that's the goal. Then we got to change Tristan's mind on this. Got gotcha. All right. There's gonna be some cold-blooded comments. Uh-huh. Somebody might have to grit their teeth. Okay. The fangs are out. Speaking we'll of comments, time. like, subscribe, post, help oh, yeah, us out. Sure. Yeah. yeah, like we're our stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're just doing it for the love of the game. But if anybody likes to watch the game, that helps too. <laughs>